Hi, this is Jason Wynn, the pastor of Ignite at River of Life Christian Church. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. It is my hope that this message that you're about to listen to will be a great blessing to your life. Enjoy, and God bless. Hello, Ignite family. It's great to be with you, at least virtually, again. Uh, I had the chance to talk with Jason this week, uh, actually today, Pastor Jason. And so we got to catch up a little bit and and talk about what's been going on. And I know uh, you are making plans, as with so many churches, to regather and getting ready and trying to figure out what that looks like in this new normal. And Jason also had the chance, Pastor Jason also had the chance to introduce to me uh, a theme for this series and for this, uh, for, for this time called Generations. And as he was talking about this Generations theme, a psalm came to mind. And I want to read to you from Psalm 102, which is a prayer of affliction, actually. It's a prayer where the psalmist is in trouble. And the first verse of that psalm says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. And, that, and it proceeds in a lament. And a, a lament is a type of grieving, a type of pouring out of sorrows. Uh, and then as it continues, uh, as with most laments in the Bible, it becomes positive. And then in verse 12, it says, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. And so there's this idea here that the affliction of the psalmist, it goes far beyond his own experience. Whatever he's going through, there is, uh, there is a faithfulness to God that endures. And as you continue, you look in verse 18, and this is one of my favorite verses, Psalm 102, verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created, praise the Lord. Let me read that again. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created praise the Lord. And so the psalmist had in mind at the beginning of time, or, the, the, or not the beginning of time, the psalmist had in mind that there is a generation of people that don't exist yet. The Holy Spirit had a people in mind that don't exist yet, that weren't yet created, that would hear these words of God's faithfulness and be encouraged. And would you just imagine that we are that generation today, that we were the people that had not yet been created but are hearing about God's faithfulness today? And I think that's, a, that's an important word for us today because a lot of times we just think about the current generation. We think about the here and now. And as I've been thinking about regathering um, and planting a church and also uh, dealing with issues of racial injustice, I've been wondering, like, what's going to happen with this generation? And yet God not only has this generation in mind, he has future generations in mind. He has people that are not yet created who will praise him. And so my prayer is, as we go through this uh, passage today, and as you hear the word of God being preached, and as you live out these commands, um, in our workplaces, we set one-year goals. You know, we set quarterly goals. We may set five-year goals. We may set 10-year goals. But scripture... <laughs> thinks about it in a completely different time frame. God thinks about it in a different time frame. He thinks in terms of generations. So maybe I can ask you, what is your legacy? What are you thinking about as your legacy? What do you want to leave behind? What's your 50-year goal? 
That's this idea of generations, that God has people that have not yet been created. He has them in mind. From the beginning of eternity, he was mapping that out. I encourage you to think about that today. Um, We are going to be in the book of John, and I'm going to be reading from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. Okay, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. Um, And so before I I get into that, what I want to set up here is that uh, we live in a time of trouble, similarly to the time of trouble that the disciples were about to enter into. Okay, so we are dealing with COVID-19 and shelter in place. And I preached at the beginning of shelter in place how it's weird uh, to to preach to video and it's weird not to be able to gather. Um, And now we're talking about what it looks like to gather again. And the trouble here is we are entering into a new phase where what we thought was going to be temporary, um, there's, a, there's a feeling of permanence. Okay, what's that mean is uh, we thought shelter-in-place would just last for this short moment, you know, this weird season, and then we'd be able to go back to business as usual, to being able to see each other um, in person and smiles and hugs and laughter. And I think what is settling in now is this reality that we're going to encounter each other in a different way, perhaps in a different way going forward. Like there's something forever altered in the way that we're going to gather. Like we are going to be missing an aspect of presence together. And that is what the disciples are also going through. And not only that, but this, we're also in this pivotal moment of unprecedented uh, both division and uprising in terms of rioting and, and, and controversy around racial injustice. And there's some fantastic movement in that. And yet you can also see very clearly this could go both ways. And there's definitely an, a lot of polarization and division regarding that. And you can see that even split among generations, probably among your generation and among your parents' generation. There are very different and opposing views. So there's all kinds of trouble right now. And uh, this is why this text is appropriate, because this is the upper room discourse. John chapters 14 through 16 is Jesus preparing his disciples for his crucifixion. And he is preparing his disciples because he's, he's about to tell them, hey, look, I am going away. I am leaving you. And these are the instructions and the assurance that Jesus wants to give. That even though circumstances are going to turn for their worst, you can have hope. So these are Jesus' words. Chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So today's message is about two aspects of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit today. Two aspects of the Holy Spirit. Number one, there is truth in the Spirit. And number two, there is belonging in the Spirit. We're going to talk about truth and belonging in the Spirit of God. And I'm speaking to you as uh, at River of Life. Uh, you're known as a charismatic church. So I have learned much about the character and personhood and really um, a demonstration of the Spirit's power from being with you. So I feel a little strange. I feel a little inadequate wanting to teach you about the Spirit. But I'm going to do my best. So we're going to dive into these aspects of what does it mean for um, the Holy Spirit to be the Spirit of truth and what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be the Spirit of peace and belonging, okay? specifically in terms of belonging. And I think it's so relevant to what we're going through today. Um, first off, let me talk a little bit about the book of John. The book of John is interesting because there are all kinds of images. John is a master of metaphor. And he's not as much concerned about very discrete categories. He's not, uh, he's not, for instance, a great writer the way Paul is. He doesn't use flowery language. He's not systematic the way Paul is, who's written much of our New Testament. Uh, John's gospel has this distinctive where he paints pictures. He paints images. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. So throughout this book, he's painting pictures so that we would believe in the Son of God. And one of the themes you see as you read through the entire book of John is that there's this continual repetition that whatever Jesus does, so also the Father. And you see this intimacy between Father and Son. And now we get this new member coming in, the Holy Spirit. And so from the very beginning, in verse, verse, verse 15, we're going to talk about the truth of the Spirit. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who's the other? Why is there another helper? Well, the first helper, the first servant, if you will, is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the first servant. And the second one, the, another helper, that is the Holy Spirit. And they both come from the Father. Jesus comes from the Father, and the Holy Spirit comes from the Father. Both, the, the Father is the source. He is the authority. And when someone is sent, they, they ultimately do so at the command of the Father. He's like, if you will, the CEO of the Trinity. Right? So he commands, and he sends this helper, who is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has this other name in verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And so let me take a second and let me help you understand what is the world. Now, we can, see, we can think really simply that the world simply means everyone, but it's not actually everyone because there's a contrast here. It says because the, the world cannot receive and yet you can because it makes this contrast, right? It makes a contrast between the world and other people. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. So there is a difference between the world and the disciples. So the way I would define world is it is, the, it is collective humanity under the influence of Satan. Okay? Collective humanity under the influence of Satan. And so the idea here is it is, it is everyone, and yet it's specific in terms of everyone. It's, it's people that are, believe lies. Because in John chapter 8, Satan is described as the father of lies. Okay, why is that important? The book of John is all about contrast. And so when Jesus says he's giving you the spirit of truth, that's in contrast to the father of lies. And the father of lies is the one who rules the world. 
And Jesus is talking about his disciples who are children of the light and children of the truth. And when you believe the truth, you are by, vir- by virtue of that not believing lies. Okay? And so what are some of the truths? What are, what are these truths? Well, number one, first of all, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. The world does not understand the Spirit. So there are aspects of God that people, that people without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, will not understand. And that's what it means when it says, whom the world cannot receive. And then it has this idea that we're going to get into when we talk about belonging. I will not leave you as orphans. And then verse 20, it has what's repeated throughout the book of John. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There is an intimacy, a oneness between Father and Son. And that oneness can also be experienced by each of us as his disciples. Okay. We also experience that oneness because we also, uh, Jesus himself is also in us. And the way we experience that, as it goes through in John chapter 15, this next chapter, is whoever has Jesus' commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Okay, He it is who loves me. Um, and then toward the end, what we see is this helper, okay, helpmate, this word for the Holy Spirit, also the word used to describe woman, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, so what's the role of the Holy Spirit? He is to lead into truth and he only teaches what Jesus teaches. Okay, the Holy, the Holy Spirit only teaches what Jesus teaches and he only calls to remembrance what Jesus has said. So what's the implication for us? Oftentimes in Christian circles, <laughs> The Holy Spirit is an excuse to go beyond any kind of normal structure, okay? The Holy Spirit is often kind of like this crazy uncle who comes to the party, and when he arrives, we just don't know what's going to happen. He's unpredictable. He's an excuse for why things go late. Anything, anything that goes wrong, he's also often used as a reason uh, for uh, justifying oneself. So there's a whole bunch of abuses that go with the Holy Spirit. And yet here's the thing. This is what this is teaching. The truth of the Holy Spirit is he only, he, the Holy Spirit, only reinforces what Jesus teaches. That is his job. It's to reinforce the truth of Jesus. And so, if and when the Holy Spirit is unpredictable, it's not because Jesus wasn't. It's not because Jesus wasn't. It's because we need to redefine our image of who Jesus is. If the Holy Spirit does things that are exciting and amazing, it's because those it is reinforcing and repeating the actions of Jesus. He, that's what he is doing. He is report, re- repeating and reinforcing. Uh, the, the, he's mimicking the things Jesus did. And that is incredibly comforting and yet also challenging. So when we sense the Spirit moving, we have to, rec- we have to test and go, hey, is this, is this consistent what Jesus, with what Jesus taught? And we will be challenged to recognize, maybe we need to go back to and understand better what Jesus, is, what Jesus has taught if it challenges us, okay? Because they are united. Holy Spirit and, and Jesus both come from the Father. They reinforce each other, okay? So that's what's important. Um, that's what it means for the truth of the Spirit. And again, this is in contrast to the Father of lies. This is in contrast to the world. So the Spirit is going to reinforce things that are different from the, what the rest of the world says. So I want to give an image that'll help you see that. And one thing I love and enjoy uh, watching on YouTube is dance videos. Okay, I like the um, the Korean studios. There's a there's a couple Korean dance studios that are that are very very good. Um, and then a couple American ones. 
And what I enjoy is watching a song that I've heard on the radio or on Spotify and seeing the choreography. And it is amazing to watch. Usually the first routine is the choreographer plus another very skilled dancer. And they go through the routine, which is a series of eight counts. And you watch them do the motions. And then you'll see uh, the other students in the classroom also perform the same routine again. right? And it's, just, it's amazing because each dancer does it a little bit differently, but they're imitating the same choreography. Okay, they're imitating the same movements, and there's just this, this, this rhythm, and it's, it's, it's just fantastic to see how a choreographer imagines the beat and words and melody of the music into motions. And so, um, oftentimes, at the end of these videos, there's also a dance tutorial. Okay, there's a dance tutorial. And the dance tutorial is often much longer than the dance video itself. Because in the dance tutorial, what the choreographer is, gonna, is doing is, he's going to, is he or she will step through all the different, the, the different uh, ways. He's gonna he or she will instruct you in how you can perform that dance on your own. You can perform the choreography on your own. And he or she's going to take their time to step you through it. So what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the dance tutorial. Jesus is the choreographer. And his earthly ministry was the dance. And we see Jesus in his earthly ministry preaching the gospel, healing, casting out demons, bringing people to know him, rebuking the Pharisees, going to the cross, dying to himself, investing in his disciples. Those are all parts of the dance. And the beauty is that he has given us a tutorial. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we would not just watch the dance, but that we could participate in the movements of the dance with him. See, here's the problem with a tutorial. I often don't watch it. I rarely watch the dance tutorial because it's boring. And most of the time, I'm just watching it. I'm not actually getting up and doing the dance moves. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't move the way I used to. And uh, I learned to dance by watching MTV back in the 90s. And that was my dance tutorial. But nowadays, I just don't have the patience to actually get up and, and, and mimic and imitate the movements. But here's the thing. If you have the Spirit of God, you are compelled to imitate the movements of the dance choreographer. And the disciples are the other dancers, right? And we all watch their movements. But the beauty, the majesty of this plan is that Jesus has given us the spirit, which compels us to imitate the movements of the choreographer. And so you can get to know the choreographer by watching the dance, by reading the scripture. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the way he empowers us in, in the spirit of truth, is that he has us mimic, he has us imitate the choreographer. And so you get to know the choreographer by imitating and performing the same movements he does, by performing the same ministries, casting out demons, speaking in tongues, preaching the gospel, investing in the disciples, all those aspects. That's the Holy Spirit. He teaches and reinforces the, the movements of the choreographer so that we can be empowered to do the same. So first thing, that's truth of the Spirit. Um, the second part is I want to talk about truth, uh, belonging. How does belonging happen in the spirit? Verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's fascinating because he's leaving. <laughs> he's saying this. He's just, he just said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And it's strange. So what's he mean? And so essentially what Jesus is doing here is he is uh, preparing the disciples for his crucifixion and then his ascension. 
So he is actually preparing them for, for his departure. And it's going to be abrupt, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be terrible. And then Judas, not Iscariot, says, how is it that you will manifest yourself up to us and not to the world? Right? So again, there's a distinction between those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And the world, under the collective influence of Satan, will not see. Will not see. Okay? And so as Jesus explains, he says, those who love me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And so the aspect of belonging here, it all hinges on, that, on the idea of not being left orphans. So what is an orphan? An orphan is someone who does not have parents. And what Jesus is telling the disciples is, I will not leave you without a parent. Jesus is saying, I have been your spiritual parent, but I'm going to give you another spiritual parent. That's another way to understand helper. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, who is a spirit of sonship. Okay, and I know it doesn't say that there, but in Galatians it does. Jesus is saying the Father will send a spirit of sonship who will give peace. And this peace is very specific. It says in 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And by the way, neither let them be afraid. That's, also, that's repeated from the first verse in chapter 14, 14.1. So Jesus is promising two things that the Holy Spirit will give. Peace, and I won't leave you as orphans. So this peace has something very specific. It's a spirit of sonship. It's a spirit of knowing that you are a son and daughter, a beloved child of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit gives. He gives the experience of belonging. One truth of the Spirit, one of the most important truths of the Spirit, is that you belong to him. As you practice, as you love others, as Jesus loved you, as you receive the love of Jesus and have that overflow in other people's life, the Holy Spirit comes in you to affirm your identity as a son and daughter of the Most High King. Okay, that is the peace we we experience. And so the question then is how is that different from the peace that the world gives. Now, I've noticed something, that oftentimes the thinking of the world can infiltrate the church. And what I mean by that is we think of peace as the absence of trouble. We can think of peace as uh, harmonious and gentle circumstances. And if that's the case, then by pretty much all metrics, we are not living in a time of peace. We're living in a time of racial turmoil. We're living in a time of division. We're living in a time where even within the church, there are um, a diversity of opinions on how to gather as a church and how to deal with racial injustice. And that divide is political and it's generational. And it's, I, I believe it's, it's worldwide. There's protests about racial injustice all over the world in Japan and Nigeria and South America. And so if our definition of peace is based on circumstances, then we're going to be in a tough place. And if the disciples' understanding of peace was based on circumstances, they're going to be in a tough place as well. So what is Jesus saying? Your peace is not based on any kind of circumstance. Your peace is not based on harmony with what's going on. And finally, your peace is not based on my physical presence with you. Because a lot of times we, I mean, Not a lot of times. We've been designed to value the in-person presence of another person. We value being able to see someone face-to-face. 
And what is so difficult, even about preaching right now, is I cannot be with you face to face. I can't see your reactions or responses. And I had to ask Pastor Jason, you know, what have people been thinking about my sermons? Because I have no idea. Usually I get some engagement, right, afterwards and, and have, some, have some conversation about it. Um, but I, I, that's been absent, right? And so absence is painful. And yet what the Spirit of God, what the peace of God is, is even in the worst of circumstances, even when Jesus is absent, the spirit of sonship, the spirit of belonging, he is in you. He is affirming you. And so today, you're going to be wondering, Lord, the the uncertainty that you imagined is, is going to continue. Like we were hoping for this short period of uncertainty. But I think you can tell, as a nation, we're poised in a lot of different decisions, right? There's so many decisions that lay in front of us, whether it's regathering as a church, what's going to happen with racial injustice, what are the future generations that are going to come to the gospel? And there's all this kind of trouble and turmoil. And yet what Jesus is saying is, look, he is about to go to the cross. And there's going to be tremendous trouble because of the cross. The disciples will abandon him. Judas Iscariot will betray him. He will be humiliated and beaten. He will be publicly crucified on top of a hill so that everyone can see. In fact, all the, all the trouble that could possibly happen to Jesus does on the cross. And so in the absence of anything good, when the worst is happening in terms of circumstances, God is doing his best work. That is a pivotal moment in all of history, in all of salvation history, When everything is turned against Jesus, there is trouble and strife and turmoil and betrayal and abandonment, and God is doing his absolute best work. And so today, if you are missing the presence of others, if you are longing to feel a sense of belonging and wanting to feel acceptance and wanting to just have someone around, would you take comfort that the truth of the Spirit is that you belong in him. The truth of the Spirit is he is in you, and he wants to affirm your identity as a beloved son and daughter of the Most High King. Let's pray. Father God, to live for you in the end is quite simple. It is to love you and to love others. Lord, thank you that on the cross, your ultimate love was revealed. That in the midst of trouble and turmoil and strife, you were doing your best work. And Lord, so thank you that even for the disciples, when you left, when your presence was gone, you gave us your spirit so that we could be empowered to mimic your movements so that we could be empowered to remember the truth you taught us, so that in future generations, which we are today, we are the future generations, would come to know you and praise you. And so, Lord, would we simply today trust the presence of your Spirit in us to mimic your movements, to recognize we are your beloved sons and daughters, and to love you and love others, so that future generations, our children and our children's children, would believe and trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.